welcome to the Outsider Interview, a bonus segment of the Cohen Bro Opinion Show. I am your host, the Outsider himself, Scotty William. We have a lot of interesting things to talk about as we've reached the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. As you know, that fateful day that will go down in history as the worst attack on American soil since Pearl Harbor on December 7th of 1941. The questions on a lot of American minds include, are we safer now as a country? Or has the tragic events of 9-11 left us more vulnerable? We will also discuss how terror attacks have evolved over the past 30 years on our country. To answer these questions and give us his expert insight is Charles T. Kraft, a 39-year veteran in law enforcement and former police chief of Troy, Michigan, a city of 85,000 residents. During Kraft's tenure as police chief, the city of Troy consistently ranked in the top 10 safest cities in America. Joining me now via phone is Charles T. Kraft. Charles, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Charles, let's delve right into the topics at hand, if you will. In looking back 20 years ago now, how much has really changed security-wise since the 9-11 tragedy? And the big question is, are we safer today? What is your opinion on that? Well, a great deal changed. Um, you know, I, I we talk about are we safer today, and the answer to that is, a uh, simple answer is yes, we are. And the reason for that is that... Um, We've dedicated a lot of resources to um, the investigation into threats and following up. We've used a lot of technological en enhancements. Uh, it's really become prominent in our efforts where I'm not sure that prior to uh, 2001, 9-11, that, that it was that top drawer of an item, even though you know, the, there had been a previous attack on the World Trade Center about 10 years before. Uh, and these kinds of acts of terror, not, not nearly as severe as what happened on 9-11, uh, were being perpetrated all over the world. But um, I think we had a certain sense that it wasn't going to come to America. And, and once that did, we made a lot of changes, a lot more cooperation between law enforcement. And since I've left the department in 2009, I've, I've stayed active in the field as a training director of a training academy. And then through my work with um, law enforcement technology companies. So I've interacted with a lot of uh, law enforcement people from all different levels. And uh, it, it's certainly prominent in everybody's thoughts and hasn't, um, hasn't subsided at all, even though I think the public is perhaps uh, – been a little bit uh, has has forgotten a little bit about about these the seriousness of the issue, perhaps because we've kept them so safe. But uh, a lot a lot has changed 
just just uh, uh, it's been a major change in our focus. Charles, um, um, to expand on your comment of yeah. law enforcement keeping people so safe and maybe forgetting about the severity of what happened 20 years ago. I know a lot of people uh, to this day still complain about their treatment in going through TSA and all the so-called hassles that they experience. Do you feel that after 20 years, TSA may be going overboard when it comes to air travel safety checks? Well, I don't, I personally don't think it's going overboard at all. And uh, I think that any perception that we are going overboard is, is because we look at it from the American perspective, what we've become used to in American airports. If you travel to Europe or other countries, uh, it is not unusual. As a matter of fact, it, it's routine to find um, uniformed security people, be they military or the police, uh, patrolling those airports armed with uh, semi and automatic weapons, high visibility uh, presence, similar type um, standards for uh, security checks that have been placed lo- in place long before it was in, in place here. So from that perspective, I, I don't think it's going overboard. I do think that we always run the and the risk um, that we make such these security uh, measures political sometimes, and we don't we don't use a lot of uh, I'm not you know the word profiling is is a horrible word because it's of, of what it connotates in, in terms of racial profiling, but we don't use um, our past experiences to um, to dictate how we uh, secure um, our, air, our air industry. And we don't look at what's going on around the world and focus our efforts there. It, it sometimes uh, seems a bit ridiculous. I know when you, 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 you every once in a while, you'll see the uh, 90-year-old uh, grandmother in a wheelchair being searched by TSA officials and people go, really? You know, but... Um, some of that's the result, I think, of to a degree of political correctness, but some of it's uh, to a degree that, geez, oh, Pete, you know, you just never know what's going on out there. So, um, but I, I don't think it's overreach at all. And I think, I don't think it's ever going, I, I can't see it in our lifetimes abating because I don't see the issue abating in our lifetimes. On 9-11, most people could tell you where they were at, what they were doing. I know when we talked previously, you were actually on duty at the time. Give us a little bit of a rundown of what you were experiencing that day. Well, that, Scotty, was absolutely the most horrible day of my police career for, for a lot of reasons. And one of them was about three days before that, one of our police officers had suffered a, uh, it wasn't a heart attack, but he had a malfunction of a valve in his heart, which caused him, while responding to a run, um, lose consciousness, drive the car, patrol car off the road, struck a tree. And he sat there for some time until uh, one of our sergeants drove by and found him. And he had been hospitalized. And on the 10th, the evening of the 10th, I was at the hospital. And he was on life support, and they, the family had made the decision to discontinue that the morning of the 11th. 
So I was in my office and they came and got me and um, took me to a room where they had the TV going. And, um, and you know, people say, well, it took the second airplane to convince them. But I think anybody in this business was pretty well aware that, no, the first one was an attack. And we were standing there and we saw the second one uh, fly into the building um, live on TV. And, and then we were, we were convinced of it. So I had a lot of things on my plate that day because I, I immediately had to proceed to the hospital to be with the family while that um, his life support was ended. And he, he, he passed just moments later. Then I got back to work and then we were inundated with um, bulletins from the FBI and other agencies, um, everything that was happening nationally that it, that happens every day and we don't hear about was now being viewed through the the lens of a possible terrorist attack. And I'll give you an example: uh, tanker trucks, fuel tanker trucks, were um, are, are routinely hijacked. You just don't hear about it around this nation. But when they were hijacked on 9-11, then they became potential bombs. So we, we were being inundated, and we did not know, um, we, we didn't really know what the scope of it was going to be. Now, it was New York and, and D.C., but, you know, in the city of Troy, we had the Somerset Collection, the Oakland Mall, were the headquarter to many uh, international firms so uh, we also have some critical infrastructure in our city in terms of um, gas distribution, electrical distribution, and, and water purification distribution points that needed to be secured. So we immediately uh, set forth putting a plan in place to provide additional security because that's the prudent thing to do, you know. Um, and so it was, uh, I, I know I got there early in the morning and didn't get home until early the next morning uh, and staying at work and just uh, trying to take all this in. In addition to that, we had a community fair that was starting on Thursday that I had to recommend to be canceled and which caused a whole series of other issues for me. But, you know, it was mass confusion uh, to a large degree and trying, you know, trying to figure out what it is that we should do next and what, you know, you would assess the risk to a suburb and you would say, well, you know, generally speaking, I would think that acts of terror um, are, uh, are rare in, in places like Troy or pla such places. But then you have to consider what's it, what's located in your jurisdiction, if that's a high-value target. Certainly something like the Somerset Collection would be a, a high-value target and perhaps an electrical distribution point or some of these things. So we had to do the we had to we had to take precautions to do that. And of course then every major business began to shut down and um so it was it was it was quite a day, one that I'll I'll never forget, that's for sure. Yes, like most American citizens on that day, uh, that uh, will be definitely etched in their memories forever. You talked a little bit, Charles, about tanker bombings. I know the Oklahoma City bombings just a few years prior to that, on April 19th of 1995. Did the way security change after that event? Or was the security always evolving years prior to that tragedy? Oh, no. The... Um 
the 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 uh, Oklahoma City bombing uh, did a lot of things to change uh, building access and putting uh, like when we build a new police building uh, in Troy uh, barricades that you could not drive a truck through to get into a building, uh, positioning your, your, your buildings to secure them, all government buildings, such as let's take the white house, for instance, you know, you can't get down Pennsylvania Avenue. You can't get a vehicle into these areas, putting up these, these barricades. So that began to change, uh, during those eras. And when we talk about domestic terrorism, and that that got on our radar pretty good, and and we did that. Of course, when we're dealing with um, the events of 9/11, it's just a whole nother level of um, of of threats. You know, the capabilities they have um, far exceed what the domestic. You know, people did. For instance, um, post post Oklahoma City, if you buy the fertilizer and fuel oil which is what they made that bomb out of, very simple to make a bomb. Um, we track the, the people that sell that stuff have to report into the uh, law enforcement that they've sold quantities of that. And we track that and we watch it. So if, if somebody's trying to acquire um, something to make a bomb out of it, that we get, we get alerted to it. They get, they get identification. They get identification, for instance. They didn't do that before. Charles, I know we've heard numerous stories over the past 20 years, um, whether they're fact or fiction, about the days and years prior to 9-11, stories of the hijackers taking flying lessons and not wanting to know how to land, or even getting on the planes with just simple measures and uh, taking over these flights. Where do you think, in your own opinion, uh, the breakdown was national security-wise? You know, as we look back in the rearview mirror, so to speak, and say we could have done this or should have done that, and maybe the outcome would have been completely different. Well, as I, I was, I gave a number of speeches after 9-11, and one thing that I've always pointed out to people is that our liberties and freedoms in America that we we hold so dear and I don't want to lose are used against us. Freedom of movement, freedom of movement. Um, you know, America is a wonderful place to come to. We are, are we let people in the country. Um, I don't think prior to uh, 9-11 of, of 2001, we had well-developed terrorist watch list where we we flagged people and did the things that we do now and it was very easy to get in here and you know the other thing is that you know uh, you've probably heard this said over the years see something say something right you've heard that if you see something say something well the problem with that is if someone who's just legitimately sees something and says it is now is often fearful of the backlash for saying something And nobody wants to be, you know, the worst thing you can accuse somebody of is being prejudiced. And um, sometimes people say things out of prejudice and let law enforcement decipher that and take care of those people. But those people that that give you legitimate concerns, hey, this is this is unusual. This is not a typical pattern of conduct. Let's let's take these these um, Al Qaeda members that went to uh, flight school. When they're not interested in how to land an airplane, all right, 
then that's not you. That's that's I would say that's unusual because if you want to learn how to fly, the most important thing is to get it off the ground and get it back on the ground. And uh, that should have alerted somebody. And um, so they use they used, I think, our own political sensitivity. And and, you know, um, we're a welcoming people by and large. We've got we've got some bad elements in our, in our, in our culture, a country of 330 million people, you're bound to have them. But by and large, we're a welcoming, uh, uh, culture here. And, and so we just didn't pick up on that. And the other thing I think is that, um, I've always said this about law enforcement, uh, the people on the street and the people in the trenches, be they, uh, police officers on patrol or FBI agents that are out doing investigations and so on and so forth tend to be very cooperative and wanting to do the, the right, do the best thing, do what's right. As we, as, as I would say, as we move up the food chain in these organizations, sometimes you find protection of information and jealousies and um, the human desire of wanting to make yourself look good. Uh, and causes us not to share information. And there was a fair degree of that. In addition, we have law, we had laws in America that prohibited us from uh, sharing information with other people, with other law enforcement agencies. Like the feds could not share information with the locals. It was prohibited by certain laws. Those laws have changed. I think we've changed a lot in that regard. But we still, it still comes down to people willing to do the right thing and you know, my 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 I I've, I talked this about people that were the executive officers in our police department that uh, it didn't matter who got the credit. At the end of the day, did we get the job done? And that's where you take your satisfaction from. Did we do it? Did we do it right? I don't care. I, I we don't. I didn't care if we got medals or awards for it. I just took my uh, joy in seeing that we did something good and right. And that that is absent sometimes. And I'm not talking out of school. You can, you can read a million stories about that, and um, so that that was used against us. And and quite frankly, um, I think there was a sense of complacency that we just didn't think it could happen here. Yeah, speaking of complacency, you'd have to go back sixty years prior uh, to December seventh of nineteen forty-one when uh, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. So you're looking at two or three generations that had never seen such an act of terror. No. No. And, you know, um, because we hadn't seen a lot of this kind. Now, you, you do know that in Europe and in the Middle East, uh, they're very in tune with these kinds of acts because they had been they'd been experiencing them for many years. We hadn't experienced them here. And you talk about World War Two, indeed, um, Pearl Harbor. And the, here, here's and I was just discussing this with a group of people in the last couple of days. We still have a difficulty, I believe, in America in, under, in understanding the nature of this struggle. And we should have seen some of these things coming. Uh, it started during the Vietnam War. And those messages, the, the lessons learned there by people who want to defeat us uh, have really kind of continued on. And, and to a degree, and Al-Qaeda is using that is this. World War II, the enemy had uniforms. They had a military. They had a structure. 
they had a communication system that um, uh, allowed them that that we could focus in, and they communicated. Plus, technology was much some basic, more basic then, and um, we could focus in. And you, 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 they didn't have all these the the options. They're highly organized. Same thing with the Germans, and um, and we we saw that, and we've come to think that this is in Vietnam. What we ended up seeing was that. Although the North Vietnamese Army was present in Vietnam, um, the Viet Cong were really um, South Vietnamese people who were fighting uh, the Americans. And they didn't wear uniforms, and we didn't know who they were. And that's kind of what we're finding here, is we don't know who, you know, they don't have a structure like we're used to. And we keep we keep expecting that, and that's why fighting this 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 struggle that we're having right now is difficult for some people. And you just have to change your mindset. It just requires that, um, that you change your mindset uh, about what, what's going on in the world and how we're going to fight a war today. It's not like it was then. And I don't expect it to be like that, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that, that mindset, you know, America's up and, uh, you know, what's changed 2001 is that, um, uh, it did destroy America's sense of security. I mean, you know, every, I mean, you go to a football game or something, you go through, you get searched, you go through a metal detector, you know, um, all kinds of things. You go to a baseball game, they look in your, they look in your, uh, in, in, in handbags, no backpacks, no this, no that. That changed everything. It just changed everything about the way we live. And now we've got, you know, kids that are, you know, in their 20s that really have no recollection of 9-11. And this has just become a way of life to them, right? You know, to you and I or to others, we might go, boy, that's that's a little over the top. Boy, I wish it wasn't like that. If you grew up with it, it's just the way life is. So, you know, getting your original question, you know, did, how does all this happen? And um, did we miss cues? There's no doubt we did. Um, there's no doubt we did. And, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of in conflict with a, uh, an organization or, or, or an ideology that doesn't place the same value on human life that we do here in this country. And particularly, and I am not suggesting that people from the Middle East or, or Muslims or any, anything don't. I think, generally speaking, I think they do too. But you take a radical element of anything even here was what we see lately with domestic terrorism in America. They really don't care about themselves. You know, they, they don't they don't look at it that way. And you have to understand that 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 when when you're you're you know, you're fighting an enemy that doesn't have the same values about human life that you do. And you have to look at it that way. So it's it was uh, I'm sure I know the historians will go back and they'll find all the things we did wrong and that'll still be uncovered. Um, but there were a number of things, but then you have to filter them through just, you know, the humanness of everybody that, yeah, if you would have known it, but was it really reasonable and logical for someone to think that way back in those days? And probably not. 
Charles, if we could step out of the box for just a minute and delve into the events transpiring in Afghanistan uh, with the United States pulling our troops out. Now, do you think that these events could have repercussions on our safety here in America? Well, you know, this is obviously I am not a, uh, uh, a an expert on foreign relations or military or anything like that. But I would just give you from my perspective from talking to people that I've talked to that are, you know, over the course of my career, federal agents from all of the, the disciplines within the federal law enforcement community and, and military people, intelligence people, uh, I think it's going to be a negative. I think it's going to hurt us. And um, I think it is, it, it, you know, it, it's un- nobody wants to be there. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we didn't have to keep military people around the world? But I'd like to, I, what I, I've pointed out to people is, you know, there's South Korea, 38,000 or so, I believe, troops in South Korea. Uh, and still in Germany, we have troops. Why do we have them in South Korea? To watch the North and China. Why do we have them in Germany? To watch Russia or then the Soviet Union. We still have troops in uh, Japan. We watch China. We watch China. We still have a military presence in Kuwait, people, and Iraq. You know, we still have presence there. We're not engaged in a war, but we have a presence there. And we have people on the ground. It's intelligence and security and providing the kind of support. We do this all over the world. I mean, uh, uh, Guantanamo is actually on the island. I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure how many young people really know where it's at. It's actually on the island of Cuba. You know, why do we keep Guantanamo? It's on somebody, you know, it's because we need to keep an eye on people. And that's unfortunate. People don't realize that. But my my fear is that, yes, we it's a strategically, uh, it's a landlocked nation that has, board, shares borders with Iran, um, Russia, and China. Uh, and three other nations that I, I can't, I can't, I think they're, I can't think of right now, but certainly a strategically located. Uh, I have great fear that the Chinese will um, will assume control of our former air base there. Once they do that, if the Taliban forms a government, it becomes a sovereign nation, and they allow China to control an air base there. Then if we find a terrorist training camp there, what are you going to do then with China providing cover for them? You know, so there's, you know, and I read things about this and this is for any of my, this is just my personal belief. There are people that are probably arguing, you know, we needed to be out. I would not argue. They may be correct. All right. In that assumption, I may be totally off base, but I think it makes for a really interesting discussion to try to figure that out. But I, I do fear that. I, I really do fear that. I'm, I'm really hopeful that, um, you know, we're relying on technology, but they are too. And they their communication systems are all built on modern technology. And my, my hope is that our government uh, has continued. I know that they have an incredible intelligence gathering capability here that we're monitoring these things and responding. And, you know, you and I will never know um, how many arrests and small things that have happened, people prohibited from getting in here. 
were actually uh, um, uh, prevented major terrorist attacks, you know. So it was like I had a, I, I, it's a kind of interesting. I had a, one time I had a city council person say to me, um, why do we spend all this money on crime prevention? Crime's going down in Troy. And you wanted, you wanted to say, yep, there's a reason for that, you know? And um, so uh, we're, we're really safe because we do all these things. And people should understand that you can't, okay, now they go, well, nothing's happened. Okay, exactly. You don't get credit for what didn't happen. You know, you, you, people don't know what you prevent. You just never know. So um, I'm hoping that they continue down down those lines. But, you know, your your original question, Scotty, about there's been huge changes. Our culture and our culture, the way we view our freedoms, what we're willing to tolerate that we might not have been willing to tolerate before um, and and all those things. And uh, it really been um, I do believe ultimately we are safer today. And it's my hope that we continue to, to do those things right. So that we, that we've done, it was certainly a horrible day. And if you lived through it, um, and, uh, it, it's one that you'll never forget. That is very true. Charles, as you so eloquently stated earlier, uh, we've seen over the past 30 years attacks on our countries go from tanker bombings to use of aircraft. Do you feel um, with the viruses that have crept up over the past 15 years, and especially now with the COVID-19, do you feel that uh, biological warfare is the next step in uh, attacks on the country? Well, yeah, I do. I, I I think that if they could acquire something that would that they could control enough, you know, um, they don't want to kill themselves every all of their people in the process. If they could find something to 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 utilize in terms of, you know, um, a biological attack, and and uh, you know, the military and the government spends a lot of time and money on 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 that very topic, biological, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it's, uh, chemical, biological and radiological. All right. So we look at chemical attacks, we look at biological attacks. And we look at nuclear using radioactive devices. When we talk about we doing training on how to prevent that and post nine one one, we are nine 11. We got, uh, we all were issued, you know, suits. And uh, I also went through the anthrax scare, which was right after that. If you might remember that being mailed around the country, we policed that and we did get a lot of those threats and mailings in Troy. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a possibility. It's, I, I don't know, you know, take from TV. It was, I think the, the, uh, the first season of, uh, Jack Ryan on Netflix or Prime, uh, Amazon Prime, whichever covers that has that. John Krasinski was built was built or one of the elements of the first season was using Ebola as a weapon, and um, so that that is a possibility. I mean, that's something that, and that's something that our government and our agencies are 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 well in tune with. They they're well in tune with that, but absolutely. Now you can see you can see what this particular pandemic, which is not 
as bad as Ebola. Okay, it's it's it's. I mean, certainly this has been incredibly difficult times for a lot of people. Um, and but you can see you can see what it's done to disrupt. You can imagine what uh, something more severe could. And um, so yeah, I, I you know, but but we do we do pay attention to those things. You know, we are paying attention to to that kind of thing. To touch on that topic a bit more, you stated that the tanker bombings created certain safety protocols when it comes to protecting government and civilian buildings. And obviously the 9-11 tragedy changed the way uh, air travel is monitored and protected. What, in your opinion, do you feel is the next step in protecting Americans against biological threats uh, as vaccines have become a point of contention and uh, has the nation kind of divided right now? Well, I mean, you know, just, you know, you're right. I've talked, I have really, really good friends that do not believe in the vaccine. And I still, they're still my really good friends. And uh, I happen to believe in them and I, I believe they're effective. And I have my reasons for believing that and they have their reasons for that. But I think, the, I think the key thing to preventing it is we live in a global world. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, for goodness sakes, um, People are flying in and out of America to all parts of the world every day. It's just the way it is. We live on a global, we have a global economy, and that requires a global intelligence effort. People need to accept, and and this is not a political statement. This is simply a statement of human nature. I think the former president, George W. Bush, gave a speech on 9-11 where he talked about evil. And people have to understand that there are, as nice as it would be, as if we all loved each other, people do not. All right. People simply do not. People are fallen and people do not. And that we need a, a the best, the best thing we can do in, in, in defense of, of all of these things is to have a very, very high level intelligence program that cooperates, uses the latest in technology, and um, not only technology, but but ultimately you have to put people on the street, people on the ground to, to monitor what's going on around the world. You know, prior to World War II, Scotty, we, that wasn't that big of a, that wasn't that necessary. International flights weren't that often. You could control these things very easily. Very, very easily. One thing I believe, Charles, is that all of these attacks over the past 25 to 30 years is that evil does not have a face like World War II when Hitler and Nazism and the Japanese was the poster boy for all that chaos that cost American lives. And unfortunately, now stereotypes are being presented as the face of terror. And innocent people who fit those so-called stereotypes are being punished unjustly. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And and this evil is no different. And that evil is not to say that German people and I have, you know, in my DNA, there's some German heritage. All right. Um, the German people are bad or evil people. They are not. It's not to say that that people of the Muslim faith are bad or evil, evil people. But it, it's been, as a police officer, you quickly learn this. Evil is not uh, contained to any race, ethnicity, religion, or gender. 
It's across the board. It's a people problem. And you don't look at it, you know, even though I, I'm, I'm well aware of all and I've been involved the last three years and a lot of the efforts concerning uh, policing in America, I understand the failings very well. But on the other hand, I also understand that most law enforcement people realize that that's not an indicator. You know, you can't tie it to any, any particular group of people. It is, it is a human failing that strikes all people. And, and that's just the way it is. And we have to accept the fact. And the other thing is that, you know, um, we always look at everything through our own lens and we tend to look at the world through the American lens, right? You know, when you realize that just having probably running water in your home, a good clean running water, which everybody's entitled to and should have in America, puts you probably ahead of what, maybe 70% of the world's population. And we look at America like everybody thinks like us. People don't think like you. I used to, uh, when I was training new police officers, particularly when I was in the training detectives and I was working on that, and when I was a, a supervisor on the road and, and supervising police officers, they would they would theorize to me sometimes. They'd go, you know, if I was going to rob that convenience store, you know what I would do? And they would proceed to tell me because we'd be analyzing a robbery at a convenience store. And I would tell them, you have no idea what somebody's going to do. They go, what do you mean? I go, well, you don't you're not you're not a robber. <laughs> you're not an armed robber. How would you know how an armed robber thinks? You have no idea. You have no idea. So don't think about it rationally. Here's what you need to think about is my experience has taught me that when someone robs a convenience store, here are the kind of things that happen. All right. And that is what you learn. Never impose upon them. Here's I always ask this question. I used to ask this a question of police recruits. I would when you're looking for a bad guy. I said, you look close to home. And they said, why? He goes, let me ask you a question. I'd go around the class. If you had to run and hide, where would you go? And you'd get the, all these answers. I'd go to Montana. Hmm. And I go, oh, okay, great. You ever been to Montana? And they go, yeah. Wyoming. I'd go to, I'd go to, I'd go to Mexico. Has you ever been to Mexico? And they go, yeah, I've been there a few times. Invariably, they all been to where they were going to run. I says, what if you had never been to those places? Hmm. Wow. And you didn't know anything about it. It's it, it, you're not going to go someplace you don't know. Why do Pete? Why do they find people at a relative's home in Toledo, Ohio? Because they know. Because people run where they feel comfortable. Wow. So you never impose upon in, in in trying to figure out why somebody's doing something or how they're going to respond. You never impose your own lens on it and say, "I know what I would do." Because you're not them. And the same thing applies to this terrorism and, and, and even the domestic terrorism. Uh, we have to look at through the lens of let's look at behaviors. Let's identify behaviors. What's significant post-event? Let's look at what happened pre-event and see the consistency so that when we see those behaviors out of people again, we realize this is an indicator this could happen. And we take action there. That's how we have to do this thing. And uh, never impose your American point of view. And you know that, uh, Scotty. We've 
I'm sure you've considered, you know, as Americans, we, we think everybody thinks like us. They don't. They absolutely don't. That is so very true, Charles. So very true. You know, I've heard it stated that you can't have a comeback uh, without a setback. And if there's anything that I think rang true the most after 9-11 is that uh, people of all races came together and helped each other get through that time. And that was very encouraging when you really look at it. Oh, absolutely. And it was, you know, I mean, it was an incredible time of afterwards 9-12, as people are saying now, and the days that followed with great unity and belief that, you know, we, we, we will come back, we'll support people, we love people, and, um, and so on. So, um, uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was that, and that was a good thing to come out of it. And it's truly unfortunate that our country is so divided now and that we've forgotten the lessons that are, are so plain. And when you, you see the, the film and the video of the Trade Center and the people coming out and who's helping who, you find out, you, you look at the best of pe- in people. They didn't, they didn't see man, woman, Asian, black, white, um, you know, Hispanic. They saw nothing, or Latino. They saw nothing but people. And, you know, that is the way America is supposed to be and what we should be striving for. Um, because because our, our enemy, uh, in this particular case, when we talk about global terrorism, our enemy sees us all as Americans, period. Okay? We're just Americans. Um, domestic terrorism tends to focus on groups a little bit more, maybe more like we've seen out of, out of other, you know, other things. You take World War II, for instance, and I, I was a history major, so I'm going to plead guilty on this uh, to that. So I, I, I have such great interest. And we take World War II, for instance, you know, you had the, the, the um, Axis powers, which were, were basically, you're talking Germany and, and Japan. Um, Germany was doing it on the base of a racial superiority. They believed in ra- the Japanese didn't really get into that. That wasn't the reason. Theirs was a theirs was a power, just strictly power and control. Now they believed that they were superior, but but I I, I think not not the everyday Japanese person certainly didn't, but, and certainly not the everyday German person, but certainly their leadership did. So um, American uh, d- domestic terrorism tends to focus around um, around that and. Um, it needs to be addressed too, in all of its elements, right, left, however you want. I, I, I can't believe we can even classify them right and left. Why do we even Why do we even bother with that? It's it's um, anti-societal is what they are, and and that needs to be addressed in its whole, in its entirety. And because when you call it right and left, you start pitting people against each other again. But, you know, the beauty of, you know, I've seen those videos and over and over again every year I watch those shows. And I, I just I'm struck by the fact that it didn't it didn't matter to people. They were just there to help people. 
and uh, that's what that's what's that's what's good about America and should be good about America. And if we can take those good things and love everyone and treat each other with respect, we can truly make this country great again. Charles, thank you so much for your time and especially your great insight on today's topics. Well, I just want to thank you for having me on. It's been a far-ranging uh, discussion, but I think it's 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 one that's on everybody's minds all the time. All of these these various tentacles that come out from this. So, thank you very much. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to The Outsider Interview, a special segment of the Cohen Bro Opinion Show. If there's a special topic you'd like to hear, feel free to email the show at wmrr.detroit at gmail.com. You can also look us up on Facebook and Instagram at Cobro Opinion Show. I am the outsider, Scotty William, wishing you peace and blessings always. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.